Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Amen. And uh, I just want to pay tribute to uh, the greatest mother I know is Sherry McCutcheon. Amen. And really, I, that's not just, I'm not just saying that. She, she really gets the lion's share of credit for uh, um, the fact that my children love the Lord and live their lives uh, largely by the wisdom of God. I just, she, she was the, she was the one who always, uh, you know, um, you know, had this great intuition about what the kids were up to when I didn't have a clue. And, um, and another thing I really loved about I mean, Sherry's just a fabulous mother. I and mean, she, if any of you here uh, are looking for someone to mentor you, or just to have a conversation about raising your children, I can't. There's nobody better that I can that I know, and uh, that I would go and talk to if I were you. But um, uh, another thing about Sherry's parenting that that I really followed her lead in was. Uh, not to major in minors, and not to minor in majors. You know, they, and and you may disagree, by the way, which is fine. Every home has to have certain rules are not universal. You know, like well, Sh- Sherry and I, it was like never you got to eat all the food on your plate. You know, that was never a rule in our house. Or we 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 never really had a bedtime. We just I understand bedtimes are for the parents' sanity. I understand that. But uh, a lot of things, a lot of things we didn't fight about. You know, we didn't make a big deal about. Uh, if, if you look back at old pictures, Jay's gone. He, he's gone to get ready for Mother's Day at my house. So I can say this. I mean, you ever see those awful haircuts he used to have? I mean, that was pretty bad. That's the way he wanted to wear his hair. And so we were, he, he, he got into, uh, what do they call it, grunge music? It, it, it sounds like the name. Grunge in the name. It sounds, it's the right name. And man, we, we were just all great. And I, I would even go to the concerts and carry their gear for them. And it was pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> I started to say another word. I, the word amazing. <laughs> and uh, Sherry was just, just, just new. That's not where to have the fight. But boy, there were a few things. Like we, in fact, we, we, Actually, the music they listened to was very much controlled in our home. The music, as we felt, that's a portal to their soul. So the music was very, and even the music him and his friends did, we read all the lyrics, made sure they were okay before they got to sing them. So anyway, Sherry's a great mama. And um, I, I wanna, one other thing we, that happened in the first service that I want to carry over to the second service, we, we can't celebrate, of course, everybody's good news every week, and then it would take too much time, but... Um, Jim Butler, as you know, uh, got into reconnect with his father after 57 years uh, uh, last week. Well, yesterday he got an email from his mother that he's never met. The day before Mother's Day, isn't that pretty cool? And so we just celebrate with Jim. Yeah, he's not here, but... So, I want to get into the word today. We're going to talk about smart mama strategies for saving their kids. This message maybe have a little corrective uh, uh, tone to it, but let, let me tell you what I want you to do with that. Uh, either either just swallow it and yeah, this is great, or 
if, uh, if you go, well, I didn't really need this, be encouraged. I didn't really need this. I'm, I'm doing great. Or if you kind of don't agree with something, practice what we call the covered method. The covered method is when you hear something preached that you don't totally go, ready to go with or accept, you take it and put it in the cupboard. Don't put it in the garbage disposal or the trash. Put it in the cupboard and maybe next week or six months from now or a year from now, you'll go in the, your spiritual cupboard and you'll look there. Boy, I really need that. I really agree with that. I think I need to hear that again. Or maybe after two years, you go and you see it there and you haven't accessed it. You still don't agree with it. Then you throw it away. Forget it. But don't throw it away today. All right? Um, I ran it to a website called smartmama.com. And I'm going to read to you their description. Smartmama.com is a smart, stylish, and sophisticated online magazine website for mamas that covers topics such as motherhood, family, kids, husband, and self. Smart mamas are confident, in-control mothers who are comfortable with technology. She is empowered today to share her views, call useful information, and communicate well with others, particularly her kids. Smart mamas want to be the best friend for every mama. Um, Rosalind Huffman, who also uses the term smart mama, and she wrote a couple of books with that title, and Smart Mama's Keys to Sanity or something like that. Uh, and uh, she writes, we call what we're doing work, even if the work doesn't acknowledge, we will, even, even if the world doesn't acknowledge it, we will. Motherhood is the hardest work in the world. I agree with that. It's physically demanding, psychologically strenuous, spiritually complex, and unpaying. In other words, it doesn't pay. It's, it kind of reminded me of the, the, the story I heard about the woman who gets a phone call one day. This woman, I would put her under the category of an over, overwhelmed mother. She was having a bad day. And she gets this phone call, and this voice on the other end of the line says to overwhelmed mother, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing terrible. I've got a headache. I'm exhausted. My kids are driving me crazy. The voice on the other line to the overwhelmed mother said, you know what, how about if I come over, fix lunch for the kids, and you take a break? And then the voice on the other end of the line says to the overwhelmed mama, how's Sam? And overwhelmed mama said, who's Sam? And the woman on the other end of the line says to overwhelmed mama, I got the wrong number. And overwhelmed mama says, are you still coming over? <laughs> She writes, Rosalind Huffman, you can see her articles at Huff, Huff Post magazine, I think, was that, that right, Huff Post? We will cry when we need to. We will laugh maniacally when we need to. We will complain when we need to. We'll never forget the healing power of a good old-fashioned rant. We will boast unapologetically, yes, our child is the cutest, smartest, most hilarious, most cuddly on the block. While our kids are the cutest, smartest, most delightful creatures ever planted on this earth, we will not turn them into our status symbols of success. We will not spend money haphazardly on our uselessly status or our own useless status objects or stuff we think we should have. We will ask for help when we need it. We will share with other moms by taking delight in their children and by offering a helping hand when they need it. We will forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. We will not forget the important role that fathers play or deny fathers their, their own wisdom or their experiences despite our threats to call child welfare because of the incessant need to toss the kid over their heads. This is Rosalind Huffman's sure items for how to stay sane, by the way. For today's message, though, I want to consult another smart mom in the scripture. And it's not about 
keeping you sane. It's about saving your kids, our kids. So I'm going to call it This Smart Mama's Strategies for Saving Your Kids. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears her down. That lets us know there are two kinds of mamas in the world. There are smart mamas and foolish mamas. Now, we're going to go to Proverbs 31 in just a second. Let me kind of set it up for you a little bit. First of all, Proverbs 31 is a a proverb that I've never really thought about the first nine verses. I've always just thought about it because the rest of it is so attention-grabbing. How many of you, just to do a little survey, uh, how many of you are familiar with Proverbs 31? A lot of you are not. Okay. Uh, go, go read it when you get home today. Just go over it. It pictures what we might call the ideal woman, the superwoman. This woman does not exist, this woman that they describe. And I won't read all the verses to you. You go read it for yourself and see if you don't feel inadequate after you read that. This woman that does everything. I mean, she's up early in the morning making clothes for her family, and then she's selling real estate, and she's, she's uh, preparing food, and she's all of it. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just, I, 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 well, I don't know exactly why they put, was put in Scripture. But the first nine verses uh, are some specific advice we don't know if that this woman I'm about to read about wrote those other verses or she influenced the king who wrote them. We're not sure. But uh, she's only identified in these verses as the mother of King Lemuel. Now, we don't know who King Lemuel is for sure. The Bible, the, the, Israel never had a king by the name of Lemuel. Uh, uh, so we're not sure, but most scholars believe, and I firmly believe, that Lemuel was just another name for Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. So I believe it was another name for Solomon, and uh, this mother was Bathsheba. And at the end of the message today, maybe if I have the time, I'll fill you in on a little bit of who Bathsheba was. But that makes it even more meaningful when you know who she was. And so here's what she said, though. In Proverbs 31, verse 1, the sayings of King Lemuel and inspired utterance his mother taught him. Underline that in your mind. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Anytime the Bible says something more than once, it means pay attention. (laughs) Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Bible says in one place. So she's saying, listen, listen, listen. You're not listening. Listen. (laughs) Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine and for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for, those, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. I'm sure you're all worried about where I'm going to go with this text. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get into it. First thing that I want to say to, about this smart mama 
and all smart mamas, the smart mama's love is loud and clear. Titus 2, chapter 4 gives us a clue as to the importance of loud love. It says, train the young women to love their husbands and children. And he wouldn't have said that if it wasn't possible for you to be an unloving mother. Her love is manifest in two phrases. Two phrases and manifest her love. Son of my womb. You, you, you know the, the, the same root word in Hebrew for womb is the same root word for the word compassion. In, in the Bible, in some places, you'll see this phrase in the Bible, bowels of compassion. The most innermost part of a person's being is where compassion flows from. Son of my womb, I, I've held you, son, closer than any woman will ever hold you. You have been in my womb. You've been a part of my body. It's an amazing uh, connection that no one except you who have born children can understand, I'm sure. Son of my womb. And then she says, answer to my prayers. That's some heavy love right there. You are an answer to my prayer. If anybody walks up to you and says, you're an answer to my prayer, you're highly exalted by that person. I, I haven't heard that very often in my life. My mother felt that way, though, absolutely. Peg Streep is a writer. She's written this book called Mean Mothers, Overcoming the Legacy of Hurt. And I'm sure if they're here this morning and uh, that there are those, and my prayers go out to you, by the way, who experienced a mother who was not kind, who experienced a mother who was narcissistic, experienced a mother who was focused on themselves and was not able to focus on their child. And so that's what she's writing about. She says this, and I think this is really true. We won't desperately believe that every mother falls in love with her baby at first sight and that the complexity of relationships so evidently elsewhere as part of the human condition is totally absent from the connection between mother and child. And, of course, that's not true. Or Titus, wouldn't have been, wouldn't, he wouldn't have written that verse, teach, teach mothers to love their children, if every mother loved their child, as they should, and, and as most of you, I'm sure, do. Um, the, the, there, there's a study out. Uh, it was published in August 2011 uh, in the edition of a magazine called Child Development that says... It says, this study said that mother's unconditional love is critical in equipping children to be good friends, lovers, capable of intimacy, not cold or distant. Peg Streep, that same woman, also writes, she said, I understood from a young age that there was nothing I could do to satisfy my mother. She was totally self-absorbed, a narcissist, and she was never able, never able to see me as anything but a projection of herself. And the anger, meanness, and disappointment which began inside of her simply radiated out toward me. So we have, you know, just like we have the father myth. You know what the father myth is. There used to be a show. Some of us old uh, people know about it called Father Knows Best. And uh, so the, the father myth is that fathers are wise. The mother myth is that mothers are always loving. And you can find cover. We can find cover under those myths. We don't need to operate myths. We need to operate in reality. And did you know God's love is actually described in terms of a mother's love? In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, it says, It's one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. 
So King Lemuel's mom reminds him, you are closer than any human being could ever be to another person. You are that close to me. You are from my womb. And when I was in the presence of Almighty God and could have asked him for anything, I asked him for you. That's heavy love. You were the answer to my prayers. Maybe that's not exactly what you can say to your children. And, and let's not miss the fact that she was saying it to her grown son in his big corner office. He had reached the epitome of success. He was king of one of the most powerful nations in the region. And she goes right into his, his domain and she declares how much he means to her. That's powerful. So every one of us need to say to our children, you are a gift from God to me. You are a gift from God to me. A healthy and whole mother affirms their kids' values. Susan Forward, in her book, Mothers Who Can't Love, says of healthy mamas, if their children misbehave, they'll take away privileges, but they won't assault their dignity or value. You know, when Thomas Edison was a, a little boy, a teacher sent a note home with his mother, to, to his mother which said, your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him. Miss Edison wrote back, you do not understand my boy. I will teach him myself. <laughs> I think she did all right. <laughs> right? It didn't matter to Lemuel mom's, Lemuel's mom, which I think was Bathsheba and Solomon. It didn't matter to her that Solomon was sitting on the throne over the kingdom, having people coming from all over the world, all over the known world at that time, telling him how great he was. This smart mama walked in there and said, you are my baby, a gift from God. I got some stuff I want to say to you that will make you successful in life because I want you to be successful in life. Now you may, you know, that's something that, that if you don't have that in your heart already, mama, I hope you will cultivate in your heart a burning desire to see your kids win in life, to see them be winners in life and never stop working for that that's not just something you do till they graduate from high school, but you keep working for them to be successful in life. And mom, you have power. You have tremendous power in the lives of your children. So, that's the first thing, love loud. Love loud, speak truth. <laughs> but the second thing is about speaking truth. Smart mama's wisdom and instruction is also loud and clear, not just their love. You know, let me say this about love. God is love, but love is not God. There's more, there's more to success and there's more to nurturing success in your children. There's more than just loving them. You can't, every, love is not like the one tool in your toolbox that takes care of everything. Love is not like that. Love is just one of the tools in our toolbox. That we, that, we, that we use, and God is love, but love is not God. Uh, Job chapter 2, verse 10, kind of lets us know that there are, there's, there's a possibility of being foolish, no matter your gender. Wisdom or love is not automatic to any gender. When Job, and by the way, we give Job's wife a big old break here, because she had just lost her children. And her husband was covered with boils. Life was miserable. 
Job says to her, though, when she said to him, uh, Job, you should just curse God and die. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. He didn't say she was a foolish woman, by the way. He just said, you speak as one of the foolish women. So there, he was acknowledging there are, are, there are mothers out there that aren't wise. Proverbs 19:14 says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. The Hebrew word for prudent means to have success. So the prudent mother of King Lemuel has a three-point sermon to her boy that she says, this will make you successful. I'm glad you're the king, but you, but, but you, can, you can destroy yourself as a king. You, you can destroy this nation. So smart mamas can see into the future and see where things are going to lead. They know, where there are, that they know that there are forces that want to rob us of our children. Well, one of the sad consequences promised to a culture that forgets God and this is a verse, the verse I'm about to read to you is one of the most sobering verses I've ever read in my life. This, this verse says in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 22, I will also send wild beasts among you which will rob you of your children. Smart mamas understand this is war. This is war. And this has death and life consequences. And we want to win this war for our children. And we're going to fight this war. There's no more fierce fighters on the globe than smart mamas. Really. And I don't say that, I don't say that to be culturally correct or politically correct or anything. This is what I've always believed because I had one of those mamas. And, uh, and my wife has been one of those mamas for our children that we fight. And, and, and I've always, I've done a lot of things as far as relationship, things about marriage that I certainly I've repented of and were wrong. But one thing I always did was I always wanted her to be empowered to guide my children because she's really good at it. So let's, let's, let's hit these three things that Mama wanted to talk about. She said, listen, three times. But she, she said, stop, get off your phone, put your phone down. Quit looking at your, your computer screen, and you look right at me. I want you to listen. First thing I want to say is I want to talk to you about the power of sexual and, Roman, and romantic attraction. I just want to talk to you about what a powerful thing that is. You see, let me tell you, Mama, your child's sexuality is not off limits to you. It's quiet in here. Your child's sexuality is not off limits to you. It, it's not fair to say you've got a pot, you can potty train them, make sure they get to school and learn to, learn to read and write, and they learn, they learn how to feed themselves, and they learn how to dress themselves, and they learn the skills for being a successful person. But when it comes to their sexuality, you can't speak into that. I have a, I have a favorite Greek word for that, baloney. The sexual revolution, you know, the sexual revolution has been a disaster. Over 100 years ago, a Russian writer was sent out to report on the facts of what transpired inside a slaughterhouse. And setting down in detail, he wrote, we cannot pretend we do not know this. We can't pretend that we don't know that the sexual revolution, which began probably in the 50s and got a full head of steam in the 60s and continues today, has been, a, has been a disaster. Nearly half a million minor children are in foster care across the nation. Half a million. 
the illegitimacy rate in America as a whole has risen to 41%. Currently, the U.S. marriage rate is at an all-time low. Almost one-quarter of our children are now born into one-parent families. That number is three times the rate of all other countries in the world. As Americans, we need to understand that what is happening to the family in America cannot be described as normal. What the Me Too movement proves above, beyond any shadow of a doubt is a time for magical thinking about the sexual revolution is over. It, it, it didn't work. Women have felt subjugated, objectified, and abused, and they have been objectified and abused by the sexual revolution. The gro- there, there was a big old headline of, three years ago, two or three years ago, from the CDC, not from some ridiculous far-right-wing bring-God-back-to-America website, but from the CDC, the Centers for Disease... In, uh, for, for Disease... What's the, what's the, what's the C? Control. Control. Okay. Center for Disease Control. Uh, here's the graphic. Big old, uh, you, can, you can look it up. CDC raises alarm about growing STD epidemic as cases hit record high. They, now, they also call it now SIDs. But here's a little graph. I'm going to put up a graph on the screen for you. One in five of all people in the United States have an STI. Uh, totally 68 million people have an That's a lot of people, friends, have an STI. 26 million new cases in 2018. Half of the new STIs were among youth aged 15 to 24, and it's costing us $16 billion. How is this working out? How is the taking the standards for sexuality away from Scripture and making them psychologized and open to public opinion, how is this working out? I say it's not working out. More than 50 million people are, uh, in the United States have genital herpes. 5% of the entire population of the United States will get an STD this year. Of those new infections, 63% will be less than 25 years of age. And, you know, Lemuel's mom didn't, didn't have any of that. that what, those things weren't even issues in those days. She was just concerned about the spiritual and emotional price that doesn't even, all that stuff about the physical consequences don't even begin to tell the emotional price and the relational price. Think of all the broken hearts. Think of all the shattered lives that these things represent. Basically, Lemuel's mom was saying, I know you're a sexual being and that's okay, but get your sex drive under control. Don't let your brains fall below your belt buckle. Can I say that in church? Every mother is raising a leader who will lead someone to heaven or hell. And notice what her, what her end thing was. It wasn't, it wasn't Lemuel because you will be unhappy. See, that's, that's how we counsel today. Our counsel today is, if you do these things, you won't be happy, son. Daughter, you won't be happy. No, if you do these things, other people are going to suffer. People all, over, all in your nation are going to suffer if you let your get, self, get distracted by all these emotional 
romantic engagements, you're going to neglect what you should be doing with your time, and people are going to be neglected. The voiceless are going to be more voiceless. The marginalized are going to be more and more marginalized. They're going to fall between the cracks because leadership is a full-time job, son, and you need to put your attention to it, and you need to, you need to be totally focused on what you're called to do. And so she wasn't even concerned about STIs and STDs and all of that stuff. She was concerned about the fact that people were going to be damaged, and it wasn't all about her son or in her case, her son's happiness. The smart mama also warned her child about the dangers of alcohol, and I'll, I will add mood-altering substances. I, now, I'm totally aware, by the way, I'm not preaching against alcohols here today. I'm totally aware that people can drink responsibly. But smart mamas understand that, especially with your young people, that alcohol is a loaded gun. You better not treat it like a Diet Coke. Anything that alters the mood or, or marijuana or any of these things. If I had time, we'd talk about pornography too because that's a drug as well. It, anything that alters the mood, dulls the senses like drugs and alcohol has the potential of ruining your life and taking those you love to an early hell. 2019, 36,000 traffic accidents, 10,000 alcohol was involved. 10,000 of those accidents... 40% of inmates who were incarcerated for violent offenses were under the influence of alcohol during the time of their crime. 15% of robberies are committed by people under the influence of alcohol. 27% of aggravated assaults are committed by individuals who, who have used alcohol. 37% of sexual assaults and rapes are committed by offenders who were under the influence of alcohol. Two-thirds of victims suffering from violence by a current or former spouse or partner report that the perpetrator had been drinking. Four in ten child abusers have admitted to being under the influence of alcohol during the time of the offense. Alcohol is involved in more homicides across the United States compared to other substances like heroin and cocaine. In fact, about 40% of convicted murderers used alcohol before or during the crime. Now, we could have a debate on what that, those statistics mean, but I don't have time. We don't have time to have that debate on what those statistics mean. All I'm saying to you, Mom, is pay attention to these two key areas of relationship because your young people will probably not walk away from God because they studied Nietzsche and they studied Jean-Jacques Rousseau and they studied Oscar Wilde and they studied the writings of Karl Marx and, 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 and they read uh, uh, The Origin of Species uh, by, by what's-his-name and... <laughs> Uh, Charles Darwin, they will not walk away from God because they studied all those texts and all those philosophies and decided it was a better answer than Christianity. No, they will walk away from God because they found something that gave them pleasure, that dulled their senses and caused them not to think straight anymore. That's why they walk away from God. But instead of Moses, Moses chose to endure the affliction with the righteous rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Most people walk away from God because of the pleasure of sin for a season, not because they studied philosophy. Now, I like studying philosophy, so don't... don't yeah, you know, there is an intellectual side to this, and, I, and, and, and evangelical Christians have been notoriously anti-intellectual and notoriously intellectually lazy. So I want to challenge you to read a little bit, okay? Or 
If you don't like to read, listen to an audio book. Learn something. Get your brain going, okay? Good. That had nothing to do with my sermon. Nothing. (laughs) That's my own private rant. Finally, this smart mama warned her child, and this is so important. This is just, I won't have as much time to spend as I did on the other points, but it's just as important. Maybe the most important, really. The smart mama warned her child against becoming an unkind, self-absorbed, unmerciful person and leader who abuses power. You know, the thing about, I, I say to people about the culture. The Bible says, you know, there's a lot of scriptures about not going along with the culture of everything the culture says. Love not the world, use that kind of language. I say this, I always say this about the culture, lean in but don't fall in. In other words, the culture raises a concern. I try not to immediately say, that's stupid, that's, that's wrong. I try to listen to what they said and say, you know, is there some truth? And this is a, this is a theme for culture right now, is abusing power. Abusing power is a, is a big deal in the culture right now. And I don't agree with everything that's being said about it. A lot of things I don't agree with at all. I certainly don't think we should blow everything up and deconstruct everything. But I want to listen to what is true. And being kind is a, was this mama's goal. She, she said, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. One of the things that we get out of this text, Christy, is this mama talked to her boy. She talked to her child. That's one thing that Christy does so well is she talks to her kids. Probably they wish you would talk a little less, right? <laughs> but, but I know that she, she teaches them constantly. She teaches in the car. She teaches around the house. She teaches all the time. That's what I'm trying to get here today is I want to raise up some teaching mamas who start speaking, who find their voice with their child. I understand when I say find your voice in the culture, it's about finding your voice in the boardroom. You know, it's about finding your voice in, 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 in the political sphere. And those things are fine as well, and there's a place for that, absolutely a place for that. I'm all for that. But nobody can replace your voice for your child. Nobody, the teacher at school, even the youth pastor or the children's director cannot replace your voice in your child's life. You're the most powerful voice in his life. And if you're not, become it. Please. This remarkable text is um, remarkable because I I don't have a few seconds to, to tell this story, but I, I, I know this was Bathsheba. This had to be Bathsheba. And the way Bathsheba became the son of the king was a really sad chapter in David's life. King David, one night, he's up on the top of the, went out on the roof of his palace. He looks down and he sees a woman, a woman named Bathsheba bathing. And he's attracted to her. And he sends for her has relationships with her. She's pregnant. What's he going to do? He gets her husband back from battle, tries to get him to go home, so maybe he would feel he was the father's child. 
His, he had too much honor. He was such an honorable man, he wouldn't do it. And so he calls King General Joab. He sends him back to battle. He said, put him out on the front lines of battle and pull back when the battle gets fierce. And of course, Uriah, her husband, was killed. And then he brought her to the palace. She became his wife. This was a chapter in David's life that if I were writing his biography, I would say, David the bully. David took advantage of someone who had less power than him to take what he wanted and to protect his own reputation. So that's another reason I believe this was Bathsheba because she had seen up close and personally experienced what it's like to have a person who has a chapter in their life. I don't believe that was all of David's life. I know it wasn't. It wasn't all of his life. But he had a chapter in his life where he wasn't caring and he wasn't kind and he wasn't tender and he wasn't a real man. And she said, son, don't ever be that person. Don't ever be that person. Now, in concluding here, Proverbs 31.1 says, that we go back to the beginning, it says, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. I had never thought of that before. I looked at that. The word inspired, you know what the word inspired means? It means influence, shaped, and guided by God. Here's a mama who heard from God. So <laughs> you read all these things she said about wine, women, and song, and kindness and compassion. She was speaking the word of God to him. That is really powerful. Do you want to be a smart mama? You want to be a God-smart mama? And by the way, truth is portable. You know that? Truth is portable. You don't have to have biological children to use this. You can have spiritual children who you use this message on. And speak the word of God. Verse 1 reveals she got a message from God for a boy. She marched down to that big old office of his at the palace and said, Son, here's what God told me to tell you. She didn't nag, she didn't plead, she didn't whine, she didn't manipulate. She didn't say, you're going to break my heart. She didn't threaten. She simply and calmly shared what had been confirmed in her spirit. She shared an inspired utterance. I think this is a great time in history to be who you are, mothers. The culture is probably more than any time in history that I am aware of has empowered women and mothers to have a big voice and a big place in the culture, a big place in our lives. And, you know, that's great. That's great. But what are you going to do with that empowerment? What are, you, what are you mothers and women, what are you going to do with this empowerment? Where, where are you going to lead us? You're, you're leaders, so where are you going to lead us? I, I love the little story of the little boy he was on stage in a presentation the children were doing in front of the church. And he was supposed to say the words of Jesus, I am the light of the world. And he went blank. His mama was sitting in the front row. She was nervous that her son wouldn't get his lines right. So she's standing there. And he goes blank and he looks down at her and she goes, I am the light of the world. And he goes, my mother is the light of the world. <laughs> <laughs> There's more truth than fiction in there. 
Mama, you're the light of the world. I want to ask you to make three commitments. Number one, Mama, make Jesus your Lord and your primary source of wisdom. Number two, love loud and speak truth. Number three, commit your results to the God who cannot fail. Let's raise a generation of champions for God. Christy's going to come and pray a prayer of committal for those three key commitments. Let's stand. We're going to pray these things together. Let's bow our heads and you're going to repeat after me. And you know, I, I, I know there's probably people in this room that you came to church today, maybe because it was Mother's Day, you just came along with someone or you, you were here, but you have never committed your life to the Lord. So in this moment, we're going to pray and ask, make that commitment to God that Jesus is our Lord and our primary source of wisdom. And maybe this is the time you're doing that for the first time. And God bless you. You can begin your journey of serving him and living for him now. Um, so let's, let's bow our heads together and you can repeat after me. Dear God, you can do better than that. Dear God, there we go. I make you the Lord of my life. You are my primary source of wisdom. And number two, I commit to love loud and speak truth. And number three, God, I commit the results of my life to you. to the God who cannot fail. As I've sat here, and we could say amen, um, as I've sat here, you can be seated, sat here and listened to this message. I've thought about how, number one, mothers are indisputably the most influential people in the world. And I know that that's for better or worse. And there's people in here today that you your mother was influential in your life and not in the way that you would hope she would be. And I just want to encourage you today that God is for you and he is for the pain that you've experienced and he loves you so much. And I also want to acknowledge maybe there's people here that you, because mothering is so powerful, that's the deepest desire of your heart and it hasn't happened for you for a variety of reasons. I want you to know God sees you. He knows the desires of your heart and you have no shame but to go before him and ask him for what you want. Tell him the desires of your heart. And he loves you. He sees you. He has grace for your pain and you never know what he'll do. Um, those of you that your moms, be encouraged today. God gave you the kids that you have because he planned for you to be their mom and you can do it. I want to ask you to pray. I, I just felt something in my spirit. And I, you know, you ever have that happen when you weren't expecting anything to hit you emotionally? And I'm sitting over there, and when you said that thing about s some people have experienced, I forget how you said it, but they've experienced a mother that wasn't loving is what I got out of it. I have a mother wound. I know we talk about father wounds. And it's like 
I felt like the Holy Spirit said he wants to have a healing moment here for somebody. And you don't have to stand up or be known or anything, but I'm going to ask Christy to pray for you because somebody in this room, I believe, if I'm hearing God right, and I might not be because I'm human, but uh, you, have a, you have a wound in your heart from a mom who did not know how to love, and she probably had her own pain, you know, and maybe you need to forgive. Uh, I don't know what you need to do, but I believe God wants to give us a healing moment right now. Can we all just bow our heads? And I'm going to turn the mic back to Christy, and I want us to pray for everybody in the room, men and women, who have a mother wound in their life. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it, it, the Holy Spirit, all the attributes of mothers is, can be attributed to the Holy Spirit, you know. If there's a mother in the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is here right now in this room. And he's stalking to your heart. And he just wants to touch that wound. And he wants to heal it this morning. And I believe God can do it. If you want to stand, you can go ahead and stand. If you want to stay seated, that's fine. God, we just come before you today. We bring you our pain. We give you access to those deep parts of our heart that hurt. Anger, resentment. And God, we just lay it before you. And we trust you, God, that you are able to heal. You're the healer. You're the one who brings restoration. And I'm so encouraged to hear, we hear today about a man who never knew his mom for over 50 years and received that email that, God, you can do anything. But God, even before physical things happen around us, even before we're able to maybe even have those moments of reconciliation and restoration, and even if we never do, we trust you that you, God, can come into the deep parts of our heart and our soul and, and do an incredible work of healing. God, I pray for those people in this room today that have that pain, Lord. And I pray for those moms that they have that pain and they're afraid of how that's affecting their life as a mom. I pray, God, that you would just remind them that you are so much bigger than what's happened in our past and that you can be their source of wisdom. It doesn't matter how you were raised, that the book, that Bible is for them as a light unto their feet. The Holy Spirit is there to implant wisdom and you don't have to be afraid. God will empower you to be the mom that you need to be. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We thank you that you are for us. You are all things to all people. In Jesus' name, amen.